and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is Lindsay and Krista, your friends, your guides, and we really are so, so grateful that you are here and have chosen this show in particular to support yourself, to make you laugh, to inspire you. We are totally here for it. Yeah, and you don't need to be almost 30 to listen. You can be whatever age you want. You can be whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey. We are just here to be your best friends and guides along the way. We've been doing this for a while now. We have so many episodes in our catalog that are super powerful, including another one from our dear friend here, Mel Robbins, that Mm -hmm. you can dig into after this episode, which was such a pleasure to record. Yeah, Mel is is someone who I always enjoy being around. I feel like we get into like a fun mm-hmm. little both goofy and also profound vortex. But she is someone who we have admired for so long and to now be friends with Mel is something I don't take for granted, you know? I was on another friend's podcast and I said, you know, a friend Mel Robbins and she's like, "Okay, flex." And I felt so embarrassed. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, I want to crawl under my chair." I'm so embarrassed right now. I didn't even know because you don't know it's a big thing, you know, when you're kind of chatting with her cuz she's so grounded and cool, but we got to catch up on so many different things that we talk with our community about quite often like procrastination, about being sick of your own stuff and wanting to do the thing finally. We talked about her journey to podcasting. We talked about some of the visions she had for Lindsay and I for our lives, which is so amazing and fun and really about getting over your own fears and doing the thing because that's what Mel had to do to launch her show. Yeah. And she's so good at giving tangible examples. You know, it's a very grounded approach to just making your life better and actually creating the dream life that you want to manifest. I think she gave an example of her daughter who wants to be a musician in some capacity. And she was giving this example of the words that she was using, that she was saying out loud about her music, about kind of this pursuit and how important that is. I mean, I can think of things that in the past I've wanted to create or make happen and even now and just being super mindful and aware of like, oh, that word actually is so limiting or so small or like keeps me in the place that I'm in rather than expanding into what I really want to create. Yeah, being mindful of your language is so huge. I like the concept of that because it's something that we can tangibly do that is all reliant on us. And that is just very small actions. You know, we can think about the dream or vision of being a music artist or performer, and it's so big. And when you compare that to just the small action of saying, hey, let's just use different language around this. Let's use expansive language. Let's see it as something that is already going to happen that we can make small actions towards rather than being like thinking of the big dreams. I think making things in smaller steps is really, really powerful. I actually wanted to share something I learned from Mel's podcast that I haven't shared yet on the show that is a fact and statistic that I'm obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And in one of the episodes, they were sharing some research on happiness and how to support ourselves and being more happy and being people that just feel good about our lives when you feel in that flow. And there was a lot of research around the effect of the sound of birds on people's happiness and peace levels, and that just hearing the sound of birds chirping can increase our happiness for eight or nine hours after we hear it. 
And so that feeling where you're on vacation or where you hear birds chirping in the morning. And for me, I live in a very busy area, so I don't often hear birds. But growing up in a small town in Ohio and wherever I've been in my life where I hear birds, I feel infinitely better in the morning. I feel infinitely more connected and grounded and happy. And so I love whenever there's any research that supports more nature and more earth, nothing makes me happier. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, as a kid, oh my gosh, took that for granted. Just those like sounds. Yes. Those little sounds, the wind blowing in the trees, the birds, that's good fact. We'll never forget it. Right. Isn't that, it's it's funny growing up again in small town, it's like you think it's so lame and you're like, oh, I wish I had the hustle bustle. And then you're in the hustle bustle and you're like, I want the small town. I want the quiet. But I think one of my favorite things about a lot of the research that she shares and more so the research that's more broadly coming out is that it is bringing us back to the simple things. It is about getting sunlight in the morning. It's about having deep restful sleep in the dark. It's about our circadian rhythm. It's about getting off of our phones. It's about getting in nature. It's about grounding. It is about birds chirping. And so I think we as humans feel like we always need research or data to support things that feel good for us intuitively. But if that's going to get us more connected to the earth and more connected to ourselves along the process, I'm all for it. Yeah, same. Her new podcast that you mentioned is such a good one. It's the Mel Robbins podcast, and it is every Monday and Thursday, so you can get your dose of Mel. And I was waiting for her to start a pod. Mm -hmm. I'm like... She was talking about it when (laughs) she first came on our show. I remember. She's like, I'm thinking about doing it. I don't know. I think she had some like limiting beliefs around it that she shared with us. And it's truly I think one she, of the things she's meant to do in this world. She's too one of those people. She's like, I'm scared to do it because her doing it is like, I'm number one. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I think it's like. She's like, am I ready for the fame? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm ready to make the best podcast in the world. It's her expectations of herself are so great that it can, yeah. I'm sure can be limited because it's sure. taking on an entirely new arena and area but you know to bring it to a scale that's maybe more relatable to our audience if you're not searching for number one but you want to have something that feels really good I loved how we broke down the process because we can look at Mel and be like okay you're gonna have a podcast that's gonna be successful like we get it and we even talked about that with her but the same mental conversations are inherent in all of us Mm -hmm. it's gonna fail no one's gonna listen no one cares why you don't have time, you know, the same type of limiting beliefs and parts of what we think about ourselves are present for so many of us. So I think it's helpful to hear someone who we see as so successful and maybe so beyond where we could be success-wise feeling the same way that we do about these things. Yes, completely. And we laugh a lot. That's what I love about Mel. Yes, (laughs) we we do. So enjoy this one. Make sure to share it with a friend if you really liked it. We have also over 500 other episodes you can dig into, no pressure, but they're there for you at everything from spirituality to self-development, aliens, quantum physics, sex, relationships, everything in between. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you get our new episodes every single week. Yeah. And then you can listen to the first episode we did with Mel by searching Mel Robbins, Almost 30. It's a good one. And we have all of our courses and programs, free content through blogs, our membership, free downloadables at almost30.com. It's our central hub for all things Almost 30, really powerful information to support you. And then we are on socials at Almost 30 Podcast. So come find us on TikTok or Instagram. We'd love to connect with you there. Enjoy this one. We'll see you on the other side. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.
Guys, listen up. We got something free for you that I'm so excited about. I love giving you free things. I love hooking you up with stuff that we love and use. And this is Aloe Moves. So tonight, as an example, I just got back from a trip. I'm not feeling so hot. I don't want to go to a class. I don't want to leave my house. But I want to get a workout on. I want to get a sweat in. And I actually want to do some restorative yoga after. And I could never do that in LA back to back. I'd be running all over the city. It takes a lot of energy. And it's something we don't think about that we spend so much energy going to classes all over the place when we could do amazing classes at home with Aloe Moves. So Aloe Moves is a streaming on-demand wellness platform that features yoga practices, fitness routines, meditation sessions, and so much more from one of my favorite brands, Aloe Yoga. So they have quality studio-style classes that really inspire me to take care of my body. They have something for everyone, so beginners to advanced. I love their bar and yoga. They also have Pilates, they have cardio, they have HIIT. They also have guided meditations, sound bath, and breath work. So it's incredible that they have so much to offer. They have tons of fresh content with hundreds of new classes added every month. And I love it because I can put it on in the morning, do 20 minutes, do 20 minutes in the evening, and it saves me so much time from travel, from going places. And I felt really empowered being able to have more control of my schedule. And I just am loving doing something for myself at home. I can't tell you guys how many classes I've taken in my life. And to mix it up in this way feels like the ultimate self-care. All the classes are on demand. So when I'm short on time, I hook it up, I turn it on, I get my sweat on. I'm excited, you guys. You can get a free 30-day trial. So try it out. See if you like it. See how it makes you feel. And if you use our code, you get 50% off the year. So try it out. See if you like it. If you love it, use our code for 50% off. So allomoves.com. Use code ALMOST30 in all caps. That's allomoves.com. Use code ALMOST30 in all caps to get the free trial and then 50% off. That's allomoves.com. Use code ALMOST30 in all caps for the free 30-day trial and 50% off the year. Let's sweat together. Krista and I would love to invite you to our new workshop series happening May 2nd, 3rd, and 4th called The Invitation. This is a very special one-time only experience inspired by my experience and Krista's experiences with breakups. Whether it's in friendship or romantic breakups, they have all been, in hindsight, initiations. And they've really rocked our world, but honestly set us up more securely on our path and purpose. So this workshop series will explore the three stages of a breakup. First night will be all about the letting go, how to know when to let go, how to let go. Night two will be about the breakup and the grieving processes. And finally, night three is the invitation to a new season. So we're going to be sharing intimately about our own experiences and the insight and wisdom we have learned along the way. And we'll also bring in the practical tools that will give you the confidence to have the hard conversation, to step into your life confidently and hold your relationships to a higher standard. Plus, you'll have the support of other amazing women, you know, almost 30 nation in this similar season. So the price of this workshop is the cheapest it will be right now. The price goes up every single week. So please, please, please head to the show notes of this episode and click on the link to learn more. Or you can follow Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram and check out the link in our bio. We cannot wait to see you at this special workshop series called The Invitation.
We're so excited to have you. And this is really beautiful because we're going to be talking about your new podcast, which I'm such a huge fan of. And I'll never forget when we first met you in New York in the studio, you were talking about how you had imposter syndrome around starting a podcast. And you, it was such a beautiful thing because it helped heal me in so many ways. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, she's a real person. Even though knowing you, I know you're the most real person. But hearing that was just the most endearing thing. And now to see you have a podcast that's just so successful and so you and so unique is so exciting. So I would love to talk about that imposter syndrome and that journey for you to starting a show and launching a podcast, even though you were scared. Sure. Where should we start? Start from the beginning. So (laughs) why were you nervous to start a podcast? You're so successful. You have books. You have an amazing YouTube channel. You are one of the most successful speakers in the world. What about the podcast really made you nervous? I wanted to do it so badly. And to back up, I guess I should say it this way. I think that your fears become greater the bigger the dream is. And there's this weird relationship between the things that you deeply dream about and desire and how scared you are of it. And it's almost as if you want it so badly, whether it's to fall in love or it's to change your career or it's to pay down your debt or it's to write music that inspires other people, or in my case, it's to launch and be able to do nothing but focus on this podcast. And I never really understood because, you know, I have a daughter who's a very, um, she has this huge dream of being a touring musician. And from the outside, I could never understand why the fuck are you not just writing songs every day? Like you have dreamt about this since you were three years old. This is what you're meant to do. You are meant to have your life be about music. And yet you're paralyzed. And I think sometimes there's the paralysis that hits us because we don't know what we want. And what I found with this podcast is I wanted this to be something that I could build my life around so badly that I was scared of it. And just to give everybody listening a little bit of background, I'd say it was, gosh, I would say it was 15 years ago that I started hosting this local radio show in Boston, Massachusetts. It was a little Saturday morning call-in show. And I, is the first time I'd ever done radio. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And it was the first thing I ever did in the media. And it was during a period in my life that was really, really hard. My husband and I were struggling financially. And that little Saturday morning show and the $25 an hour it paid, it was not only money that I needed, but more importantly, it was this lifeline for me. It was a way to escape my life. It was a way to connect with other people. It was a way to talk about something other than the problems I was facing. And I just loved that radio show. And the show grew and I ended up growing into a five day a week radio show. And that led to other opportunities. And I left radio, I'd say in probably 2012. Ever since then, I've thought about it. And as the podcast market started to explode, it became very clear to me that my dream was to be one of the top podcast hosts in the world. That was my dream. 
And every day I would think about it because I was, I noticed I was jealous. Jealous of you guys, honestly. Hey, I, they cl- started clip one. It, Why can't clip I? it? Clip it. <laughs> what do you mean, clip it? Clip it. Keep it for all socials. <laughs> Mel's jealous yeah, of us. I'm jealous of you guys, seriously. Like I, because oh. when you you know something's meant for you when you're jealous of other people who are doing something, and so when I met you guys, here I am, extremely successful. I've paid down my debt. I've got savings. I've made it. You know. <laughs> have a really a successful self-published career. I'm working with Audible. And deep in my heart, I knew that the thing I really wanted to be doing scared me to death. And that's why I wasn't doing it. And when I met you guys, I was still busy being scared of it. I hadn't committed to doing it. I hadn't decided this is it. We're going for it. It was still just that tug of war internally. I mean, do you two have something like that right now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's it's so interesting to hear that. And really, yeah, it's just such a beautiful part of like the human experience. We create so much shame around mm-hmm. this feeling of like, I'm scared to do this thing or I'm jealous of someone or, you know, I have this deep desire, but I haven't done it yet. And I've been just thinking about it a lot recently where... This is a part of the process too. You know, it's not just about getting the thing and starting the podcast. Like what you had Mm -hmm. to move through and grow through to get here to hosting your own show was so valuable. Like that was really like the the gold in the process and everything else is like just sweet cherries on top. But yeah, I think for me... And I just said this on a coaching call with Mm -hmm. our coach yesterday. I was like, I'm kind of sick of my Mm -hmm. bullshit right now. Like, I'm going to make music this year. Like, I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of, you know, just telling myself that I need to know the precise way to do this, the right way. I'm just so over it. And I just, what do I love? I love the process of creating So why am I not creating? Like it just, like you said, why isn't my daughter writing songs every day? It just didn't make sense to me when I really sat down and got very real and honest with myself. So yeah, for sure. I think what's powerful too is also being able to say, I know what I want, but I'm scared rather than the, you know, a lot of people don't have clarity or they say that they don't have clarity around it. And that would even be probably me in my situation now where I'm like, I don't know, but there's such a switch when you can really say, I know what I want, but I'm scared rather than I don't know what I want. And it's really beautiful because it might have been a transition for you even where in the end you were like, I really know I want a podcast, but I'm scared. And coming to that is almost right before you were able to do it and right before you were able to really lean in to having it and really Mm -hmm. creating this beautiful show. So it's been really powerful to see you in this journey. So did you have to have internal dialogue with yourself? Like what was your internal conversation for everyone listening? I'd love to really give them the tools and support and using this as an example in the process you took yourself through of how they can lead themselves through something that they're really scared of, but they really want. Okay, great. So a couple things I want to say. First of all, I think it's not true that you're not clear about what you want. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. In the decade that I have been publicly coaching people and sharing the ups and the downs of my life. 
I have not met a single person that when they say, I have no idea what I want, is actually telling the truth. Mm -hmm. I believe we know deeply what we want, but we put so much fear and excuses and an active energy into convincing ourselves it's not possible that we won't even allow ourselves to consider it. Mm. And so for me, part of the thing with the podcast is that I had so much other stuff going on and so many other obligations that in order to get serious about doing this without imploding my life, because I couldn't add one more thing, I had to be willing to shut everything else down. And that meant stopping my business as a speaker, and I am arguably the most successful female motivational speaker in the world. And it meant no longer doing productions for other people like Starbucks or Audible and all this stuff. And, you know, as you're listening, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that you're already starting internally to resist what I'm saying, because I guarantee you, you're probably thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Mel. You've got millions of followers. You've got a best-selling book. You've got a big YouTube channel. What possible risk should shutting that business down be? And so I want you to notice that you're going to start to reject and distance yourself from even the story that I'm telling you by saying, well, that's going to work for Mel Robbins, doesn't work for me. That's exactly what I was doing. And it's exactly what we all do to put distance between ourselves and what we really want and to lean toward the possibility that maybe just maybe there's something in what Mel's about to share with me that is going to cut through the shit that is keeping me from claiming. It's not about clarity. It's about claiming the thing that you want and finding the courage to just tap into it and say, actually, I do want to do stadium tours. That'd be pretty cool. Even if I have to rent them myself and nobody shows up, that'd be pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm down. Allow yourself to entertain that it might be possible and that there might be something that you're going to hear. Because I think if we could silence the excuses and if we could give you a runway to just for even this conversation, give yourself permission that it might work. Give yourself permission to believe that it turns out for you. I can give you another example. I have another daughter who is doing incredibly well on a corporate track and she's miserable. She's stressed out all the time. You know what she wants to do? She wants to be uh, creating a business like, you know, Studio McGee, Amber Lewis, one of these interior designers that's that I, that we all follow and love, right? I know as her mother, this is exactly what she should be doing. What is stopping her from doing it? The only thing that's stopping her from doing it and starting to pivot and turn toward this thing is her own excuses. I can't do this. I got to save up more money. I don't have an interior design degree. I don't know who I would work for. I don't know how to, all of which are just excuses and excuses are just fear. I had the same thing. I was once facing bankruptcy 14 years ago. What happens if I shut down a successful business? And I am no longer speaking for two years as I try to like organize my business to do a podcast for real. What would that look like? 
What does that mean? It was triggering old fears. Mm. And so whatever it is that you feel called to do, and in your case, you were talking about music and getting serious about music, right? And we're going to get clear about what you want to be doing by the end of this conversation. Perfect. <laughs> but, okay. And I think it has something to do with spirituality. I think it has something to do with wellness and healing other people. Mm. When I When I look at what you're putting out, it is so clear. Mm. under your content. I mean, I felt like I was on a spiritual retreat when I was following you in Marrakesh. Mm. It is clear to me that you are either a shaman or a healer, or you've got a sixth sense mm. that you can tap into and you're not leaning toward it. Yeah. And so I'm just putting that out there. I'm not sure that that's what you'll find and mm -hmm. claim for yourself, but there's something in that space that doesn't feel businessy. Mm -hmm that is really your gift. So what happened for me is the same thing that happened for you. I got sick of my own bullshit. And I know that we believe the same thing. So first you, you have to be willing to claim the thing that is in your heart. That doesn't mean you have to do it. But you gotta be willing to let that desire flow through you. And there's a simple thing you can do. Just wake up every day and open up your journal. And whatever your journal practice is, just add this one thing. Write down five things that you want. Every morning, five things that you want. And they can be anything. It could be the new Gucci handbag purse thing that's got the different colored straps. It could be that you want to lower your cholesterol. It could be that you want to heal your trauma. It could be that you want to write a song this year and put it on Spotify. It could change every day. The purpose of starting your day by opening up your journal and adding to your journaling practice, write down five things that I want, is you are teaching yourself to get in touch with your desires. You are allowing yourself to let your desires flow through you. And by writing these things down, it's almost like you are unplugging something that's clogged. You're allowing this stuff to flow from your heart down to a piece of page. Now, you don't have to do anything about it yet. I just want you to start dreaming again because I believe that most of us are so blocked by fear, by insecurity, by failures in life, by disappointment, that we have stopped letting our desires flow freely and we do it to protect ourselves from disappointment. But when you cut off your connection to what's in your heart, you feel disappointed all the time. Something feels off. When you start to do this exercise, something interesting will happen. You'll start to feel more present to things that you want. And by simply writing down the five things that you want on this piece of paper, it is an act of giving yourself permission to want those things. And that's step one. And so what I started to notice, and it was around the time, you know, right after I talked to you guys, in New York City I, that I started like really actively doing this as part of the, you know, high five habit. And the podcast thing just kept coming up and kept coming up. And what also I started writing is I just didn't want to travel so much anymore. When I'm 54 years old, I do not want to spend 150 days on a plane. Mm -hmm. I do not want to feel like I have to hustle. I do not, like it's just a dumb business model. And so I just kept going to myself and then here's something else. We just talked about this on a podcast episode. Start when you keep doing this and you start to get tapping into your desires. 
just ask yourself, and I love this prompt. I stole this from my friend, Amy. How can I make this easy? How can I make this easy? I want to start a podcast. How can I make this easy? And the shocking thing about that prompt is our brains default to what's hard. Let's just take the singing and getting serious about music. When you claim that as something that you want, what are the first things that pop into your mind? Well, how am I going to do it in a legitimate way? Do I have time for that? Yeah, I think it's the how. The how is such a, where my brain just goes, well, you know, you don't know the right people. Where's the producer? How are you going to record it? How's it going to go on Spotify? All of these hows and when really like, my genius is not in the house and that's okay, but I have an incredible network of people around me that show up literally and are ready and willing to support and kind of be those like ushers into that. And by the way, like I, th I thought about this the other day and I'm sure you have these stories too where like once we were podcasters in our closets on the floor, mm -hmm. not knowing what the hell we were doing at all. Mm -hmm. And now we coach and teach podcasters how to do this. And it's like, oh, right. That ability lives within all of us. And again, it's this fear of, I think for me, it's like that, ooh, that starting over feeling of like, mm -hmm. oh, I got to go through the mud. But I love that prompt of what if it was easy? How can I make this easy? So let's go through this right now. Okay. Think about your desire to start writing and recording music again. And now let me ask you the question, how can this be easy? I mean, I have the ability to record anything in my home, whether it's on the equipment that we have, on my phone. Like I'm thinking so narrowly, I think, in how music is recorded and the way I do it might be new. So yeah, just beginning. And yeah, I have so many people around me that I can literally say, hey, can you help me like find a studio where I could record this? Or hey, do you have a producer friend that would be interested in supporting me? Like not putting so much pressure on every little step and every yeah. big step. Yeah. So if you were to every day write down five things that you want and then also ask yourself, how can this be easy? Oh, I could ask for help. Oh, I could take the pressure off. Oh, I could just hum the arrangement instead of worrying about playing the arrangement. Oh, I could find sessions. Oh, I could do, when you, because here's the deeper thing too. And that's that our brains default to searching for reasons why it won't. And that's exactly what your brain did. And so when you use that prompt, how can this be easy? You give your brain an alternate thought. One of the reasons why so many of us love oracle cards and prayer and prompts and gratitude journals and all of these things or guided meditation is it gives you something else to think about because your own brain will default to, well, I don't know. Well, that's going to be hard. Well, this is going to be hard. And so the prompt, how can this be easy, forces your brain to search for reasons for how this could be easy or easier. And so for me with the podcast, it's like, how could this be easy? Oh, well, for me, ironically, the answer became, you could start saying out loud that in 18 months, this is a reality. You could start saying out loud 
to your team, I am going to do this. You could say out loud anytime somebody calls and says, I want to hire you in September, a year from now to give a speech mail. You could start saying, I'm launching a podcast then. I'm not going to be available. So instead of even for me, the answer wasn't start recording podcasts, start studying. It was literally just say it out freaking loud. And I've noticed that our daughter has had this major shift because she's coming on to graduation and she's already saying out loud, well, I'm pursuing music. So I got to get a bartending license because I got to figure out how to make money. I'm pursuing music. So maybe I'll ask the family I babysit for while I'm a student if they have more hours for me. So I have flexibility. I'm pursuing music. So I better start getting sessions. And so even just saying it out loud in your life is a way to make it easy. But I love this prompt because I didn't realize the extent to which your mind defaults to looking for what's hard. And so give it a prompt to help it search for ways to make it easier. And it, and it will. Your mind loves an assignment. And this is a simple one that will help you get started. And so as, as weird as it sounds, the steps were, I'm tired of my own bullshit. I'm tired of denying myself this thing that I deeply want. I started writing down five things a day. I started noticing it is there every single day. And then I started saying it out loud and, and not forcing myself to do it overnight and not forcing myself to do it in a month and not forcing myself to do it immediately, but saying this matters so much to me that I'm going to say a year from now, things are going to look very different. And I'm going to start saying that now, that this is going to be a part of my day-to-day -day life. And I didn't even know what that meant. And so those were the first couple steps that really got me out of my own way and helped me make this major pivot and helped me also to start to identify how much my own thinking was part of the reason why I wasn't doing anything to move forward. And once I started that, I, I said it out loud. I kept doing the five things I want. It kept showing up. And then I'm just like, how, how can I make this easy? How can I make this easy? How can I make this easy? And your mind, when you give it an assignment, will take that assignment and it will help you make it easy. So this weekend, I went away with some girlfriends. It was so much fun. And we went to Arizona and I had no idea that Arizona would be so cold. And I packed tons of things that didn't work like heels and dresses. And I really had this idea that I would be way more fashionable and care way more about what I looked like than I did. But the point is my bag was bursting at the seams. Okay. My away travel bag was literally bursting and all my friends were laughing because I had to use my legs to squeeze it together and zip it. But they were like, that is so crazy that your away bag literally like stretches to fit all your clothes. The zipper never breaks. I cannot even tell you guys how much I've stuffed in my away bag and how the zippers have never, ever broken. It actually blows my mind every time. I'm like, how does it like stretch to fit everything? I've had away travel bags forever. I travel all the time and it has made everything so much more seamless. The hard shell is protected. 
I feel great about the price point. It's not too much. It's not too little. It feels like something that's really accessible for having such a quality, quality bag. And it fits literally everything. So Away makes suitcases, bags, and other travel accessories designed to make moving through the world a lot more seamless, which is a good thing because travel makes us better as people. I'm such a fan. It gives me so many different perspectives on life. So no matter where you're going in the world, whether it's a weekend trip or whether it's a long, long trip, you can rely on Away's range of travel products to solve real travel problems to get you out there in the world. So they have the spinning wheels, their TSA approved combination locks. They have a sleeve that slides over your suitcase. They're just incredible. I am obsessed. I'm so grateful for them. So you can get a hundred day trial. So a hundred days of away is quite a lot of days. And shop the entire away lineup of travel essentials, including their best selling suitcases and bags at awaytravel.com slash almost 30. So awaytravel.com slash almost 30. And it's important to use the code because then you can see if the bag fits, you can see if it works. You'll have no problem returning it within 100 days, which is amazing. So go to awaytravel.com slash almost 30. Get a bag for yourself. Get a bag as a gift, especially for friends and family. I love getting them suitcases because it's like a gift we never want to buy ourselves. But awaytravel.com slash almost 30 and get yourself something nice and go explore the world. Let me tell you about the uniform that I've been wearing for the past couple months now. That's also an Oprah's favorite, and it is the women's bamboo jogger pant from Cozy Earth. You guys, when I'm flying, when I'm at the airport, when I'm working from home, these joggers are on my body. They fit so well. They're so comfortable. I love the black. There's over 1,500 five-star reviews. They are crazy, crazy soft. They're comfortable. They're flattering, and they feel so luxurious. It's like the pajamas and joggers that every woman really needs. You look chic, you look cool, you're comfortable. It's the best. So I love Cozy Earth. They have these amazing go-to styles for everyday wear made from the world's softest viscose from bamboo. So they just feel incredible. Cozy Earth has amazing, beautiful loungewear that I wear all the time because your girl is in loungewear mostly. And I also have their sheets. So I just redid my entire bedroom. I wanted to get a king bed and I wanted to ball out with some amazing cozy earth sheets, and I feel so incredible about them. They are so incredibly soft and luxurious. I got the Lennon Bedding Collection, which adds this really like luxurious, cool element and captures this like amazing, breezy, timeless appeal. It looks so chic. Whenever I'm looking on Pinterest, I swear it has to be cozy earth bedding. So cozy earth is like literally cozy earth. It's amazing, soft loungewear. It's bedding. It's towels, it's for men, it's for women. Anything you want to wear to feel really good, the thing that you're going to come home and put on, the time you're going to spend in your bed should be with Cozy Earth. I love them. I'm so grateful to be working with them. And I'm excited because you guys can get 35% off. 35% off. So 35% off at CozyEarth.com with code ALMOST30. So CozyEarth.com, code ALMOST30. Get the joggers, get some nice pajamas, get some amazing sheets feel really good, feel luxurious, upgrade your life at CozyEarth.com, code almost 30 for 35% off. I'm curious about the timing thing because I think that's a really beautiful point. So you had this desire and wish and because you believe so much in it, you wanted to be present for the process and sort of said, you know, in a year, I'm going to have this out. And I'm curious about that because 
oftentimes I hear people when they put a timeline as long as a year, in quotes, as long as a year, it seems like they're using it as a tool to procrastinate and not actually do the thing. So what's the balance with that? Can you talk a little bit about that? How do we know that we're not procrastinating on one of our goals? And how do we know we're actually being mindful and truthful about the actual action steps we're going to take? That's an excellent question. It really is, truly. And one of the reasons why I like time traveling out a year is because I do think if you're making a major change in your life, that giving yourself a runway takes a lot of pressure off. And it also takes pressure off you getting it right. Because I think a lot of the fear that we have is that if I fuck this up, then that's it. If you write one bad song, like imagine if you said, that's it, I'm starting it. And the first song you write, you go to a session or you meet with a producer and like, "Mm." you're like, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh But if you have this big dream and you say a year from now, my life is going to be very different because I'm going to have incorporated this into my day-to-day life, that gives you this runway. That means that one or two or three or 11 producers going, "Mm, it doesn't matter because you know that the vision is that a year from now, things look different. Procrastination, you know when you're doing it because procrastination has a very active nature to it. You are avoiding something. So I think there's a very big difference between actively avoiding doing the work because you're either scared or you're not ready or... You're just not sick of yourself yet, right? And you creating a runway and a framework that makes you feel a little reassured and more empowered because you have time to fit it in. Yeah, there's certainly a different energy to procrastination. Like you said, it's very active. It's like a nervous energy. It feels Mm -hmm. very ungrounded. I can speak more to that because there's really interesting research Mm -hmm. about procrastination. So procrastination is a coping mechanism for stress. There's a researcher up in Canada that has studied procrastination for decades, teaches about it, and here's what procrastination is. When you are stressed out about something, so let's just say that, I don't know, uh, work is very stressful or somebody that you love deeply is dealing with a cancer diagnosis and you're the one driving them back and forth to their radiation treatments and you're just going through a stressful time in life. You're having trouble paying your bills. It's stressful. Work is stressful. And so you're preoccupied with this level of stress. When you're in a state where you're stressed out and your nervous system, and you said it, has this kind of level of energy to it, The last thing that your brain wants to do is be asked to focus on something. And so when people procrastinate, they typically procrastinate doing things that require focus or energy. And the reason why you avoid doing something like writing a song or working on a report, or cleaning out a back bedroom, or working on your expense report at work, is because you're stressed out about your mom and radiation. You're stressed out about paying your bills. You're stressed out about the fight you just had with the person that you're dating. And so your brain looks at that expense report and is like, can we just look at some cat videos online right now? Like, I are you seriously asking me to think about? So I, I am just... 
that's what procrastination is. That's all that it is. And the problem is, is it becomes not only a coping mechanism, but the more that you avoid hard things or things that require focus because you're stressed, the more you procrastinate. And so there's a simple solution for this. And this is what the research shows. When you find that you're procrastinating on just humming out a new arrangement on a song you're working on, or you're procrastinating on filling out the financial aid for graduate school, notice that you're procrastinating and then ask yourself this question, what am I stressed about right now? And simply identifying, oh, I'm stressed about my bills. Oh, I'm stressed about mom being sick. Oh, I'm stressed about getting ready to fly home to see my family. Once you identify what you're stressed about, it's interesting. The research shows that just identifying what it is, it loosens its hold on you. And then all you have to do is make yourself work for one minute. So hum for one minute, that new arrangement you're working on. Spend one minute starting the application for financial aid. And something interesting happens because you've identified the source of the stress and you've now engaged your prefrontal cortex and you've started the thing, 80% of people keep going once they start. And so that's how you handle procrastination. Now, let's talk about the relationship between giving yourself a legitimate runway to make something happen and procrastination. If you're unrealistic and you start to put pressure on yourself to write that song or launch that podcast or do that thing or get in amazing shape, the thing that you want so badly becomes a source of stress. Mm-hmm. And so there's a really nice sweet spot, I think, that you got to figure out for yourself. And I think, you know, anything longer than a year, way too long. But mm-hmm. anything that is too soon is just going to stress you out. And so I think you got to figure out if you want to see your life looking differently and see the thing that you really want as part of your day-to-day or your weekly life, whether that's a different type of health routine or it's a new business you're launching or, you know, it's incorporating music into your life as a songwriter or it is being more out and public about your healing or your intuitive work. Figuring out if six months feels sort of scary, but doable, or a year is too long because it feels too far off, that's what you got to figure out for yourself. That sort of blend between, is it a long enough runway that I'm inspired, but not too short that I'm stressed? I think, too, something I've been thinking about when both of you are talking, and I can really relate, it's the feeling of being sick of your own bullshit. And (laughs) I want to kind of talk about that because I know we're using just like a type of language to describe a feeling, but there's also, so there's the motivation where you're doing something because you hate yourself and you're motivated to do something because you want to be different than what you are. And then there's also the motivation that's the deep desire, the heart desire to create something or do something or achieve a dream. So I want to talk a little bit about this because I do feel like sometimes people could be doing these things. They could be starting the dream or the passion because they want to be different than who they are and they want to fulfill something to make them different or get validation or whatever that is. So can we talk about how we can tell if we're achieving a goal or we're trying to move towards something because we have the deep heart desire? And then if we have the egoic desire or the desire for something for us to be different? Well, let's see if I understand the question. 
Because I think moving away from something that doesn't work is the same thing mm. as being pulled towards something that you desire. Yeah, I think my, my question is what I'm noticing in the self-development and, and personal growth space is I think sometimes people are motivated to change themselves because they don't love themselves. And so they're really mm. looking to achieve a goal or do a thing because they have actually a deep, they actually don't want to be who they are. They have no self-acceptance. And then I think there's the other side of it where you could be dedicated towards something because you really love yourself and you value who you are and you want to move towards something because you know you're worth it. So just talking about that as it relates to the bullshit thing, it's like, how do we know that we're moving towards something from a true soul level? Or how do we know we're trying to just move away from the feeling of feeling bad that we feel regularly? Mm, because you don't accept yourself yes, foundation. Exactly. Got it. Well, there is a lot of research around this. So it's a very astute question. So there was this massive study in the UK that was done about all the various habits and personal development that can improve your life from eating well to better relationships to exercise to meditation, all kinds of things, all of which have been shown through various studies practicing gratitude that have a meaningful impact on the quality of your life, your happiness. And what the researchers found is that the single greatest skill or habit or behavior change that you could practice that impacts your happiness and sense of purpose and meaning in life more than anything else, more than gratitude, more than meditation, more than exercise, all of it, is learning how to be kind and accepting of yourself. And it is the one thing we practice the least. Here's the thing. This is so important when we talk about motivation because when you're hard on yourself or you beat yourself down or you look in the mirror and you hate what you look like, it's demotivating. And so a lot of us think, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to exercise crazy and I'll like myself when I'm skinnier. No, 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 no. All of that negative self-hatred poured into exercising doesn't motivate you to exercise. And it also doesn't make it easy to get healthy because you beating yourself up and it coming as a form of punishment to you for who you are now, it makes your body hold on to stress. And so if you really want to be healthier, if you really want to feel motivated to achieve your goals, you must learn how to meet yourself where you are and say, I deserve to feel healthier. There's nothing wrong with me. And I still deserve to feel healthier. And that's why I'm doing it. I am doing this as an act of love. That's why I go to the gym. I am making myself create music as an act of love, not because I think I'm a dumbass for not doing it. And when you can make change and self-improvement and entrepreneurial effort an act of self-love and as evidence that you deserve something, you will be more motivated, you will get better results, you will enjoy it more because it's coming from a place of acceptance, love, and self-care rather than self-hatred, self-bashing, I got to change myself, there's something wrong. You do the work is the work. Yeah. And, and I think a lot about this. I think about whether or not you're in alignment and that is completely an energy thing. Here's an exercise you can do that I think is so helpful. 
take out a piece of paper, draw a line down the center. And on the left, write shit I hate. On the right, you are going to write things I love. The shit I hate, I guarantee you, it is anything, anyone, any place, or any process that creates friction in your life. Friction can be anything from frustration to angst to just that like self-hatred to resistance. Things that you love have no friction. They're easy. They flow. And for me, I am always looking for places in my life that have friction because I think it's the greatest teacher. And I also think it's those areas where I'm either punishing myself or where I have a person that's no longer working in my life or a process that's broken that's creating the friction or a place, whether it's work or where I live or whatever, or a pattern like a habit or a thinking pattern that I've outgrown. And so if you can relate to self-improvement as the act of identifying places in your life where you feel friction and then going to work to get the lesson there and then fix it or remove it or make it better so that that aspect of your life is now something that you love or that you enjoy or at least doesn't have any friction. And it comes back to that question we talked about earlier. How can I make this easy? Because I believe that the friction that you feel in life or in relationships is trying to get your attention. It's a signal that something's off. And for those of us that have been in periods of our life where we've hated ourselves, or we've been beaten down or in a destructive relationship or in a job that just sucked us dry and was not a match, you felt friction, period. And that's how you know when the things that you're doing are motivated by hate or they're motivated by beating yourself up. And it's also how you know what in your life needs your attention. That reminds me of something I read in a book by Harville Hendricks and Helen LaKelly Hunt. They're a husband-wife duo, and they were talking about how, I'll butcher it, but conflict is desire in disguise is kind of the high-level mm -hmm idea very much pertaining to relationships and that's helped so much so i think we can you know that's what you're saying about any friction in your life there is there's a desire there that is like not being looked at tended to listened to and it's helped me so much to rather than try to run away from the friction or the conflict within relationship to stay and be like what's really here you know, I'm experiencing this in this way, but what's like really, really here? I love this. Yeah. And you know what I love about what you just said is that there are going to be some things that cause friction in your life and it is a hell no. Mm -hmm. It's the job that you are not doing for another week. It is uh, mm -hmm. it's the toxic dynamic in some relationship that needs to be part of a past season of your life. But then there are those occasions where the friction is within you and it's your own bullshit. So that's what you're referring to when you say, I'm so sick of my own bullshit. And what you're really saying is, I am so sick of the friction that I am used to creating for myself. I am so sick of the friction that I tolerate in relationships. I am so sick of the friction that I feel because I know in my heart that I am not pursuing songwriting and I need to. That's what you're saying. 
But what you just said about the fact that in some relationships, friction, moving toward it is an opportunity for deeper connection. And I have found that in my marriage. Like one of the things that my husband and I have been working on, and we've been married for 26 years, is it's only in the last couple years, like literally the last 18 months, that I have come to understand that one of the core issues that we feel in our marriage that creates friction for both of us has to do with attachment styles. He is avoidantly attached. He, in moments of conflict or whatever, he just withdraws. I'm sure this is not a surprise to anybody. I am an anxious attachment style person. I cling, cling, cling. And we didn't understand that until recently. And we've been together 26 years. And this has been a source of friction for both of us. Chris withdrawing and feeling not understood and me gripping and not feeling understood. And so to your point, any area of friction, especially in relationships or in work or in situations that you deeply want to improve, it's also the area for you to lean into and unpack. Because again, that's where the greatest lesson is. On the attachment styles, when you were talking about that, that was a realization that I had in the past year or so. Lindsay and I, it's interesting in our dynamic, we'll sort of ping pong which attachment style we we are at a time. At the beginning of our relationship, I was avoidant, you were anxious. And now at the end, you're avoidant, I'm anxious. It's it's a whole it's a whole song. Just and keep dance. it fresh. We keep just... it fresh, juicy. We keep it interesting. But the attachment styles is huge. And it's been some of the most profound teaching and learning that I've had. But for you and your husband to work through that, you know, for anyone that is just learning attachment styles with their partner, how are you using that in your relationship to bring more closeness and to bring more intimacy? The big qualifier here is this is something that I am not even remotely an expert in. I am so new to this, but here's how it has helped me. Like Many things that you are able to finally put a label on, whether it's, oh, that's dyslexia. Oh, that's an attention issue. Mm. Oh, maybe it's depression. Oh, you're, you're a sensitive person. Oh, you're extroverted. Oh, you're introverted. I find that when you are able to organize somebody's default wiring or behavior into somewhat of a, a well-researched category it makes it less personal. And so it has profoundly lowered my pissed offness yes. and my frustration. And it is it has allowed me to just remind myself that I married a really nice guy who just needs time to think things through. And sometimes I'm a fucking monster for judging him for that because I can't handle not knowing and I can't handle not being connected. And so it has made me kinder and more patient. And it's allowed me to manage my own crap in a more productive way. So you guys know that I'm sober curious, so I'm not taking many shots these days, but I am taking Vive Organic Shots, which are incredible. They provide all the superfoods you need in under five seconds. So they have these amazing, delicious, 
certified organic shots that I love. They support my immune system, my energy. I love the turmeric one. Turmeric is so helpful for inflammation. It's helped my body feel better. It is so incredible. So to all my friends here that want to be proactive about our healthy choices, Vive Organic is a fresh wellness brand that strengthens your immune system with nature's most powerful ingredients. So you can have the freedom to live a super vibrant life. They're really high quality, sustainably sourced. They have fresh pressed ingredients and they're so powerful you can feel them working. That's the thing is I've taken a lot of shots before and I really didn't feel them working. And I know it sounds like I'm still talking about alcohol here, but I'm talking about healthy shots. It really just felt like it was kind of a waste, but Vive Organic has felt so good, especially with how much I've been traveling and I've been going through a lot personally. I've taken their immunity shots at least once a day and I felt so vibrant and good. And you guys, I haven't gotten sick in months. It's been an absolute game changer. So they're crafted fresh pressed from 100% organic superfoods into a daily immunity boost shot. There's no sugar, which is so important to me. There's no artificial flavors. There's no artificial colors. They never water down their shots. So these are really important things for us to think about when we want to get these types of shots. They can have a lot of sugar, which can be a little overwhelming if you're taking, you know, 15, 20 grams of sugar in a tiny shot, especially if you're like me and you want to monitor your blood glucose levels. I don't want my shots to have artificial flavors, which they can have. And then also a lot of companies water down their shots. So it is a small, small amount in the shot already. And then they'll replace a lot of those nutrients and amazing things that Vive Organic has with water. So going with Vive is the best bet in feeling really, really good. So I love their wellness shots. I actually also too, I love their sparkling immunity drink. I am a carbonated beverage girl through and through, and their Blackberry Sparkle Immunity is my favorite. So you can get a bunch of their amazing products at their website, viveorganic.com. I'm excited for you to try. You can get 15% off your first order by using code ALMOST30. So viveorganic, that's V-I-V-E, organic.com. Use code ALMOST30 for 15% off. So ALMOST30, 15% off Vive Organic. Get yourself some shots, get yourself some sparkly immunity water, feel really good, feel vibrant, take an organic shot. I swear you're going to love it and enjoy Vive Organic, code almost 30 for 15% off. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway, are you ready to unlock the true potential of your body and mind? It's a big ask, but I am. I don't know if you are too, but I'm ready to unlock the true potential of my body and mind. Analemma Coherent Water is the revolutionary new way to improve your health and well-being. Analemma has clinically been proven to significantly increase ATP levels. ATP is the mitochondrial energy of your body, which is huge. ATP is directly responsible for powering the majority of our cellular processes in all living beings. So increased ATP levels results in improved athletic performance, enhanced cognitive function, improved cardiovascular health, and positively affects almost every area of our human health. If we think about it, if we're made of cells and those cells are functioning better, those cells have more energy and they're able to work and produce more energy in the body, we're going to feel better from all accounts. There was a recent study that shows that analemma increases human ATP levels. So by consuming analemma water for 60 days, The study shows a significant increase in blood ATP levels 
in humans, which is really important. Drinking enolemma water can also improve the state of your microbiome. This leads to improved digestion, enhanced immune function, reduced inflammation, improved mental health, and finally, a reduction in risk of most chronic diseases, which is, whoa. I have the wand. I actually put it in a water bottle that I keep at home. So whenever I fill up the water bottle, it just basically makes my water coherent. It's been incredible. I've noticed so much more energy, better sleep. I've been sharper and my skin has been better. We also had the founder on the show, which was so, so amazing. So I highly suggest searching water, almost 30, and finding that episode to learn more about the function and the science behind this and all about water. We are made of water. It is so important. NLM has also launched a whole house unit, which is crazy. So I have a wand that you can keep and travel with you. It's really easy. It's pretty small. It's easy to have and manage. But they also have a whole house unit. So y'all know when I'm getting my house, this is going in my house unit. So with the whole house analemma, you get the blessing of coherent, amazing water in every part of your house. So analemma is now conducting a study to examine the effects of analemma water when bathing in it. And the early results are pretty phenomenal. Every individual in the study up until now has experienced a significant improvement in many cardiovascular markers such as cardiac output and stroke volume. So imagine bathing in the most coherent, crystalline, beautiful water. How amazing. I cannot wait. So imagine having a healthier gut, a clearer mind, a youthful body using Enolema Water Wand. It's so easy. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential. Try Enolema Water and revolutionize your life. Visit CoherentWater.com. That's CoherentWater.com. And use code ALMOST30 for 15% off. CoherentWater.com. Use code ALMOST30 for 15% off. Get a wand, get coherent water, and get to feeling really good. I wanted to shift a little bit, still on this newness of being a podcast host, but talk about the shift in identity. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for so long, you have, or the world has identified you as one of the most successful speakers, authors, you know, you name it. And now we're we're shifting. And I'm just curious how internally that has felt and also how maybe your inner circle has felt, whether it's family or, or close friends. Because I think about future identity shifts mm-hmm. and I'm like, mm. whoa, like whether it's, yeah, leading more into the music or it's motherhood or whatever the next thing is, it's like, wow, that must be trippy. It's actually amazing Mm -hmm. because I have been somewhat frustrated by the fact that the world only looks at me as a motivational speaker. You'd be surprised how many people don't even think about me as an author. Mm. That even though we've done six original productions for Audible, most people are not aware of that. And most people look at me and say, oh, she's that motivational speaker. And there has been kind of no acknowledgement of the research we do, of the kind of clinical applications of the the work that we are teaching the world, the books that we've sold, like any of it. And so I have been so excited to be able to say to people, what do I do? I host a podcast. And yeah, there's a lot of other things, but this is the thing that I want to be known for. 
And it's been liberating to have my business centrally organized around this production instead of me darting to catch a plane and going to this stage. And then are we going to write another book? And what are we doing over here? And that was creating a lot of friction in my life. It was chaotic to travel so much. And I just knew in my heart that if I committed to doing this podcast, that somehow the production of it and doing a show twice a week, that it would become the organization that not only the world would respond to, but that was deeply missing from my business. And one other thing that I just realized is one of the other reasons why I was worried about launching a podcast is because I had just hosted a television show that failed. And so there was a part of me that was saying, stick to your knitting. You've mastered the motivational speaking thing. Who are you to think that you can jump out of that box and be something else? You tried that with a talk show and it failed miserably. Stay in your lane. And so if I really, you know, it just occurred to me that that was part of what I kept saying to myself. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, the labels and when you sort of understand something, you're able to work through it. That was something I wanted to talk about today was around the narcissism piece. I loved the conversation that you had and I love the episodes you've been doing around narcissism and how to support people and understanding it and working with people in it. I was curious, just why do you think this is such a relevant topic for now? Why do you feel like narcissism and narcissistic tendencies is really having a time where so many people are affected by it? It's an excellent question. And it's also super relevant, right? Since they named gaslighting the word of the year. So I have learned so much from Dr. Romani, who, in my opinion, is one of the world's leading experts on narcissism. She's been studying it for 20 years. And there are a bunch of revolutionary things that I've learned from her. And one of the main things that I have learned from her is that narcissists aren't born that way. It's a personality type that develops in childhood based on either neglect, emotional neglect, physical neglect, physical abuse, or massive overindulgence, where somebody neurologically does not develop the capacity for empathy. That's what it is. And she's even a proponent of not making it a diagnosis because she said the only buddy that can properly diagnose somebody is a licensed therapist. And 99% of narcissists will never find themselves sitting across the table from one. And so thinking about it like a personality spectrum where you have a human being who through almost no fault of their own during childhood never developed the capacity for empathy. They don't even have the ability to step in your shoes and consider what you're feeling or how it might impact you. It is such a huge blind spot. It has been profoundly liberating for me because I have a mother who has this kind of personality due to childhood trauma, and I have for years taken it personally. Something's wrong with me. And when you can gain objectivity you almost have the ability, or at least I have, to go, I actually feel bad for you if this is what childhood created. I feel bad that you don't even know that this is happening. And I also 
have appropriate boundaries because I know it's not about me, but I still have to protect myself from wanting this person to change. And that's the other major takeaway. When you truly are dealing with somebody with a narcissism, you know, personality spectrum issue, you're dealing with somebody who 99% of the time cannot change. And even if, and this is with Dr. Romani, even if they spend years in therapy highly motivated because they're going to get a divorce or their kids aren't talking to them, if they can grasp what's required to be in a healthy relationship and mend the damage it's done. What Dr. Romani says is most narcissists are like, if that's what I'm going to have to do to make my kids or my ex-husband happy, I'm just not willing to put in that kind of effort to that kind of sensitive person. I don't want to hurt them, but I just am not going to live my life that way. Walking on eggshells around somebody who can't take a joke, like you can just hear it right now, right? So I, again, feel like there's a tremendous amount of generational trauma out there. And our parents only repeated patterns that were done to them. And when I think about my great-grandparents and then my grandparents and the big cattle farm and like there are no hugs or love or any of that stuff that we now know and that our generations are incorporating into the way that we talk to our friends and our kids and our lovers. And so we are the chain breakers. We're the generational trauma. Like this is our opportunity. And one of the ways that you do that is by understanding what's your responsibility and what's not. And my responsibility is in my own boundaries. That's what my responsibility here is. And my responsibility is in noticing those tendencies in myself and working on them because we all have them. And it's in making sure I don't pass this on to my kids. And that's all there is to do with this. And I also feel like social media is doing everybody a massive disservice because what really plays on social media is toxic people, toxic relationships. They're a narcissist. Screw them. Cut them off. Ghost them. Don't talk to them. Cut them out. Boundaries. Like mm -hmm. this sort of like, if you don't, like if they're bad, just cut them out. If you look at people's posts, those are the posts mm -hmm. that go wild. The fact is life is more complicated and nuanced. I'm not willing to cut my mom out of my life right now. I'm not doing it. And I understand that there are lots of people who do. I wish that there were more conversations of how do you do this at a safe distance? Instead of like just icing out a friend because you're annoyed with them or you think that their behavior is toxic, have you even had the conversation to see what's going on with them? You know, when I was struggling with my husband, Chris, financially, I was doing anything I could to, to truly pay the bills. And it was then that I got that radio show, my first, you know, gig in radio and some other things started to happen. And I didn't tell anybody what was going on with me. And I started to withdraw because I was so embarrassed that we were so in debt. We were coping by drinking. I was fighting incessantly with my husband. I didn't want any of my friends to know. And 
what happened is people started judging me. Oh, look at her. She's on the radio. Look at her. She's doing this. Oh, she thinks she's all that. She's pulled away from, she's not, you know, we don't see her. Like assuming that I was some arrogant, toxic jerk when the truth is I was in major trouble. And there were one or two people that actually reached out to see if I was okay. Instead, I got a lot of the icing out. And I wish we would start to just teach ourselves before you cut somebody out, before you label somebody's behavior toxic, have you even checked in? Mm. Have you even had the conversation about how their silence is making you feel? Have you even said to them, you don't seem like yourself. It, you kind of feel a little arrogant. Like is something going on? Did I do something? Because nine times out of 10, what I think you'll actually hear from the other person is, oh my God, really? I, I didn't mean to. That's probably what's going on. And so, you know, one of the things that I think a lot about, and I think that's why narcissism is on the rise. Number one, it's on the rise because of social media. Number two, it's on the rise because it's modeled in our politics. Mm. Number three, it's on the rise because unfortunately, that behavior gets rewarded. Like it's the jackass at the restaurant who makes the scene, who tends to get their way. I mean, it's getting less and less so because other people film you and put it online and then the internet takes you down. But in life, it's the jerk who gets the attention. And I don't believe it has to be that way. I actually think you can be wildly successful and kind. I think that, you know, the people that are true leaders are people that are able to be successful and competitive and also be great human beings. I think you can be a leader and you still got to listen a lot. And so I, I just feel like it's on the rise for a number of reasons. And there's no doubt, especially according to Dr. Romani, that social media and the ability to just broadcast this one-way conversation for most people and the glamorization of influencers. And it's just... I think that's part of it, honestly. Yeah, I think what you were talking about with, you know, when you were going through the hard time financially and you had friends that would ice you out and not speak to you, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is I've had this realization where I was like, I have this really big web of people that I know and people that I call friends, but it feels very delicate. Like it feels like a spider's web almost where if I was to change an opinion or if I was to kind of show up differently, I feel like it's so easy now to cut people off, to ice people out, to let them go. And I think that is a lot because social media makes it easy to unfollow someone, block someone, you know, because of the word friend mm. even being used in social mm. media, you think you have thousands of friends, but because there's so many, we have less of depth within our relationships and within our friendships. And I know you did an episode about why adult friendships are so hard. I'm curious in that episode, you know, what were some of your findings or what was some of the information that you shared with people? You know, you just made me think of something. Yeah, let's hear it. I never thought about the fact that the word friend. Oh, yeah. On Facebook has completely changed the way we think about the word. That is a genius insight yeah. on your part. It's hijacked our understanding. And if we think about likes and love. if we think about love, it's really just follower. Yeah. A follower. You know, it's completely changing our sense. But yeah, it's really taken 
the word friend and really changed it. And I've been thinking about the word friend a lot lately because mm. I want for me the word friend to have weight. I want it to be something that if you are a friend to me, there is a mutual understanding that we each are sort of engaged in a in a relationship where we have standards and we have requirements of what it means to be friends, not just like, hey, they're my friend. Mm-hmm. We met them one time, you know, that kind of thing. And when it gets hard, you... Yes. You're out. Yes. Yeah. It's making me also want to say that I don't blame my friends back then for icing me out because all the outward behavior on my part would give you the impression that I didn't want to hang out. It would give you the impression that I thought I must be better than everybody else when... The fact is, that's just what I was displaying because I was hiding so much misery that was going on in the background. And so let's talk about why adult friendship is so hard. Well, adult friendship is so hard because we learn how to be friends when we're little. And you travel with groups of people from first grade to second grade to third grade. You're friends with people on your sports team. You're friends with people in your fraternities and sororities. You're friends with people that are on your dorm hallway. You're friends with people at work. And most of us don't truly understand why we are friends with people and why we are friends with certain people. And the main reason why you become friends with somebody is because of proximity. That's it. And there's a lot of research around this. And it makes a lot of sense. Like your friendships have ebbed and flowed based on the patterns in your life. And there's a lot of research where they've studied friendship and how much time it takes to become a casual friend or a closer friend. And so I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I can send you the link and you can put them in the show notes. But it's something I'm just going to guess at it. But they studied college students. And on average, it takes about 40 hours of time together for you to consider somebody at school a casual friend. And 40 hours sounds like a lot of time, but it's really not if you think about being in class together or being on the same dorm room hallway together or being on the same sports team together. And it's that amount of time and the shared experience during that time and the fact that you have so much going on that's the same because you're the same age and you're at the same school That's what creates a friendship. And then you will jump to a close friend by simply adding 20 more hours. When we become adults and we graduate from high school or college, everybody scatters. And the patterns of your life are so different than your roommates. And they're so different from other people you might meet casually as an adult. And they're even different from the people that you're friends with at work, because even though you spend most of the week together, you might not see them on the weekends and they might not live near you. But based on the patterns in your life, this is really sad. It takes 96 hours of time as an adult for you to consider somebody a casual friend. This is why when you're an adult, You meet all your friends at work, at least when we used to go to the office, because you spent the most time with them. It's why you become good friends, if you like them, with your roommates, because you spend all this time with them. 
And so we underestimate how much proximity, being physically near somebody, creates friendships. And we overestimate that it's some sort of super personal or super specific reason why you're friends. Yes, there's the energy thing. Yes, there's the values. Yes, you click with some people and you don't click with others. But understanding that it is about patterns, it's about proximity, and that the second you change a job, your friendships will change, period. It does not mean that you don't care about those people anymore. It just means you don't see them. Would they be there for you if you needed them? Of course, but they're not gonna be part of your inner circle because it's gonna take a lot of effort. Same thing happens when you move. The patterns of your life change, and so will your friends. I have this whole huge group of friends that I really like in Boston. We lived there for 26 years, but I live in Southern Vermont now. I see them twice a year, and I'm now becoming way closer with my friends here. Why? Because I see them more. Our patterns of life overlap. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so I think part of it in terms of this delicate web is not only how we all interact with each other, but it's our own internal dialogue. That we default to thinking that other people don't like us or that I now see my friends that I used to be super close with now hanging out, but I don't work with them anymore or I don't live near them anymore or I'm not in that text chain anymore. So they didn't mean to exclude me. They're just getting together because that's what they do, because they're in that pattern of their life. But for me, my negativity, I'm telling myself that something's wrong. And so I think it's both this realistic aspect of patterns and proximity and the damage we do to ourselves by saying, I must not be friends with them anymore because I don't see them as much. It's not true. The thing that has helped me the most is reminding myself, just because I don't see these folks that I used to see all the time doesn't mean I'm not friends with them. When I see them on social media out, it stings a little because I'd like to be with them, but I can't allow myself to then go that step further and bash myself and allow myself to feel somehow separate or not included because it's not true. And I think that's the part that we play personally in adult friendship that makes it hard that we look around and say, something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And I believe that every one of us feels like our friendship, that web you were talking about, is very delicate. Not because our friendships are delicate, but because we tell ourselves that when I don't see somebody or when they're off doing this, it means that something's wrong with me. And it's not true. Everybody is so busy. Everybody's lonely. Everybody feels disconnected. Everybody feels like they don't see their friends enough. And here's one behavior change that I have instituted. I stole it from somebody else. I love this. I want everybody to do it. They even just wrote an article in the New York Times about it. Here it is. Every single day, add into the way that you start your day a simple practice. Send a text to somebody that you haven't talked to in a while. That's it. And it can just be, I was just thinking about you. I was remembering that time we did blah, 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 blah. And I just wanted to tell you, I missed you. You don't have to say, let's get together. You can just say, I was just thinking about you. I miss you so much. I, I wish you lived closer. Some days I'm mad at you that you don't. And I just wanted to send you a big virtual smooch. The research shows 
that we profoundly underestimate the impact that that has on your friendship. And when somebody hears from an old friend completely out of the blue, it strengthens your friendship. Because the fact is, if you were to move back to Miami or back to Austin, Texas, or back home where you grew up and you haven't been for 30 years, that person that you remember fondly that you haven't seen and you don't really consider your friend, you would get back in sync with them so quickly because the truth is that huge web of people that you have in your life mostly like you a lot and they mostly wish they saw you more. And the fact is life is busy and the patterns of your life do not overlap right now, but they still love you and like you. So stop torturing yourself about it. It's so, so, so true. I'm so glad you're saying this. I I was recently in therapy and I was talking about this feeling of like, sometimes I feel like a bad friend, like mm-hmm. depends on the context. But I realized just what you were saying, the natural evolution of friendship at times, whether it's we have different seasons of life that are happening or we move away or whatever it is like there's just something natural happening that we label as bad or mm-hmm. we label as um not natural mm-hmm. and that you should fix it or be something else but yeah I've just been inviting in a lot more flow mm-hmm. in that way and not judging myself as a friend because I really do want to believe we're all doing the best we can. And I really believe that if we're not, that I'm in friendships where we really hold ourselves accountable mm-hmm. to like, okay, stepping up. We're expressing, mm-hmm. hey, I need you right now. I think yes. that's the thing that I've had to really tell myself is that I want to be in relationships where if I am being a bad friend and I'm not showing up, that my friends will say, hey, I really need you and be able to communicate their needs. So mm-hmm. it's like, how can we both communicate our needs really honestly yes. so that there isn't that sort of psychic debris of, oh, am I being a bad friend? Am I not being enough? Am I not doing all these things? Yes. And for me, it's like the tendency to overgive and just, you know, completely abandon myself Mm -hmm. for other people I always have to be mindful of. But yeah, that episode was so powerful. And it's just one of the many that you have on your show. I've loved listening. I've learned so much as a podcaster myself listening what to your you show. Learned? Well, I'll tell you, I was just telling Lindsay before this, what I really, really appreciate about you and your style and the way that you speak is that you're able to slow down the conversation enough so that you know that it's actually going to sink in for people in a way that helps them. And so there was multiple times in the conversations where you're like, hold on, we're going to be here with this thought, with this lesson with this learning enough so that people can actually integrate it and feel it and apply it and think about it. And I think in a world where there's so much to consume, there's so much media, there's so much tick, you know, there's so much information. It was really refreshing. And I was like, wow, I really respect and appreciate that. And I really want to apply some of that to what we do because I think we just get on a roll and the energy starts to go, but there's a true power in taking a pause in a conversation to really make sure that like you're hearing correctly, the audience is hearing correctly, you know, you are going to direct it in the next step in the right way. So that was something I learned that was incredibly powerful as a podcaster myself. Wow. Thank you. Got you. And I really, I love as a new podcaster, you would obviously never know just you're a seasoned professional, but you embody 
the podcaster in a way that is like so felt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can hear like just energetically if someone's behind the mic, there's a little bit of a disconnect Mm -hmm. and still kind of finding their comfort, you know, and being embodied in this. And I just love that you've known this for a long time. And now we're here. Like it's at that point where it's like we've dropped in. We're here. And it's as if you've always been here. So I'm just so, so happy for you. This feels so right for you and for us. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so grateful. Yeah, I love the one with your son too. I thought that was incredibly brave of him to also come on. I was blown away because I would have never had that courage to do that. So that insight, that additional insight into your life and the softness that you know, we're able to really see through your work is just incredible. So I'm so happy for you. And I'm so grateful you came on again. We just love you. We love your work. It was such a pleasure to meet with you in person. And we're just like the biggest fans. And we don't see you as just a motivational speaker. We never have. We see you as the full freaking package. Full package so never baby. when you were saying that, I was like, I'm confused. I'm <laughs> who thinks that? <laughs> well, I love you too. Thank you mm-hmm. for being an inspiration to me and a light on the path ahead. As I was way in the back in the dark, talking myself out of walking in this direction. And I look forward to being your friend and being here to support you and having you on my show and introducing you to our growing listeners and just being a huge fan of yours and supporting however I can. Love it. And when I'm taking my first healing clients, you're my first client. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to shaman you first. I would love, I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm getting a message. You're not, you're laughing. your way. But you actually mean it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she said it first. You said it first. <laughs> I was just man. picking up on the vibe you yeah. were putting out. That's all. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Oh. Thank you so much, Mel. You can go to melrobbins.com. It is the Mel Robbins podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can listen to the first one we did with her by searching Mel Robbins, Almost 30. And that one is a good one where we talk and break down the high five habit. And thank you to our sponsors for this episode. As always, just bringing you brands we love and use ourselves. You can grab all of the discount information in our show notes as well as on almost30.com. We'll see you on the next episode. We appreciate you and love you and are honored to support you. We love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Bye.